Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to study and look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead as we see what you would want us to see through all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're continuing in 1 Kings chapter 13. We kind of stopped right in the middle of the story last time. We had this prophet that was sent out of Judah to prophesy against Jeroboam, who was doing idol worship at that time. He said that the stone was going to be broken in half and that the bones of, of people would be burned on that idol, which, uh, that altar, which is going to happen much later uh, in time. Jeroboam, if you remember, reached out his hand to say, go get him, and his hand became shriveled up and, and lost all of its uh, uh, fluid, and he could not re pull it back. He begged the prophet to, to pray and heal him. The prophet healed, prayed and healed him, and he said that he asked the prophet to come back with him to his palace so that he could give him food and drink. The prophet said, no, God told me I cannot stay here. I've got to go back by a different way and returned back to Judah. And then he went out and a so-called prophet <laughs> came to him and said, you know, come and say, you know, come and eat with me. He goes, no, I can't. I can't. I've got to go by a different way. And he goes, well, God told me that you're to come. He went with him. And then that prophet prophesied against him for coming and following him. And when he left, the prophet was attacked by a lion and killed. And we left him standing sitting in the middle of the road being guarded by the lion and the donkey. All right, that's where we left off. So it was kind of sad to leave him, leave him there. But the idea, thought on this, we talked about this. The man knew what he was supposed to do. God had told him what to do. And because he was disobedient on purpose, God judged him harshly. And God does the same thing for us. If we disobey God knowing that we're disobeying him, we're going to get a harsher dis discipline than if we just kind of find ourselves in a sin and all of a sudden realize that God says, don't do this. All right? And this is the justice of God. God doesn't just say, well, uh, you did it, so you're going to have this, this level of punishment. He goes, well, you knew better. You went out and you said, I am going to do this. I don't care. I'm going to do this. And God says, that's going to be a much harder judgment than somebody who just all of a sudden reads the Bible and goes, oh, no, oh my goodness, I've been, I've been doing this and it's, it's a sin. It's still a sin. You need to repent and there will be consequences. But it's not the same as if I go out and say, well, I don't care what God says. I'm just going to go do this. This prophet knew better and he pays with his life. Why? Because he was standing in the place of God as a prophet. He, was, he gave a message to Jeroboam. He knew what he was supposed to do. And then he went and did something that he knew that he wasn't supposed to do because somebody convinced him that he knows better. And this is something that we need to be very careful of. When we truly know the word of God, we're to be obedient about it. And there's all kinds of controversies in our world right now. You know, governments are trying, you know, governors and, and states and mayors are trying to shut down churches for protection of COVID. And people are having to make hard decisions. Do we obey God or do we, and, and meet and assemble with our churches or do we obey man and close down the churches? Thankfully, here in Arizona, we have not had to deal with that. But I already told you, and people have been supportive. I would stay open. You know, just stay open because I believe that God says, don't forsake the assembly and of yourself and so much more as you see the day approaching 
more and more churches are taking this stand that originally cooperated. And they're starting to say, no, God says, and they're pushing this, and this is the problem. The world pushes further and further in their, in their, in their attacks on us. If we give an inch, they will take four or five miles. They won't even just say, okay, well, you, you guys honored this, so now, you know, so great. They'll go and go deeper and deeper. And we need to be careful. And this is where we have to draw some lines. Do we have scripture that says don't do it? If we do, then we obey God. If it's not scripture, then we do what, man, what the governor, government says and obey them. Uh, and I've shared with you guys, part of my big problem was I hate the masks with a passion. And yet there's nothing in the Bible that says you shall not wear a mask. And there's nothing that says I can't have church while I'm wearing a mask if I had to. There's no, you know, I can, I can, so reluctantly I have to obey that law because God doesn't have anything that says don't do it. But when, if they were to come in and say don't meet or, or tell me we can't do something in the church, we can't speak in the church, we can't teach God's word in the church, then we're going to go and have problems. This prophet disobeyed God. And he paid with a heavy price. And so verse 26 is where we left off. And when the prophet that had brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him, according to the word of the Lord which had spoken to him. And he spoke unto his sons, saying, Saddle, up, saddle me the donkey. And they saddled him. And he went and found the carcass cast in the way, and the donkey and the lion standing by the carcass. And the lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn nor torn the donkey. All right, so this false prophet, bad prophet, whichever way you want to go, I think he was a false prophet, but you know, if he wasn't a false prophet, he's a bad prophet. All right, uh, he goes to find the body and he gets amazed that there's the, the, pre, the prophet laying in the road with a lion you know, standing guard and the donkey just standing there. And, and the amazing thing is the lion didn't eat the body which is what lions do when they, when they kill something, they eat it. Usually they drag it off and consume it and then take, take days to consume the, something large. And he also didn't kill the donkey that the prophet was riding on, which again, outside of character. And the donkey standing there next to a lion, not freaking out. This is, this is something that is so interesting when you think about the, the small miracle around all this. The, the, there's a prophet laying in the street, not eaten by the donkey, uh, not eaten by the, by, by the lion, and the donkey is standing there as well. You know, uh, yeah, hopefully the donkey's not eating the person. <laughs> That'd be a pretty savage donkey. Uh, but you know, here we have this. It shows that this was God's judgment. This wasn't just bad luck that he ran across a, a lion in the middle of the wilderness which happened a lot. I mean, the, the, this area has lions, all right? So, but the fact that the lion did not consume him and was just standing there with a donkey looking over the body shows that it was God and that God was overseeing all of this. And we're going to see, in this section, we see the mercy of God being given out to this man as well. Because what should have happened was that the lion killed him and drug him off the road. Nobody would ever known that he was killed other than his family going, well, I don't know, you know, he drove up, he, he rode up to, uh, to Israel to, 
to prophesy against the king and we haven't seen him. Did the king kill him? Did he fall amongst robbers? What happened to him? God is going to make it so they know exactly what happened to him. Now, he didn't get drug off. The mercy of God is that his family is going to know that, his that he died. He's going to get buried, which is something that wouldn't normally happen when the lion attacks and you're by yourself. So God always tempers his judgment with mercy. Maybe not for us, but for the family and everything else. And this is important. God is merciful to us. Even when we know we deserve worse than we got, even when things are really bad and we understand that we deserve worse than we got, God has mercy. And this is kind of a strange mercy, but his family is going to get to know, you know this man died because the, the story is going to go out. I don't know that he goes, goes out and actually sends a message, but they're going to hear. Matter of fact, it made it into the Bible, so his family probably heard even before this that this man went up and he died. And so he finds this, finds this man. He's, the lion did not eat the carcass, nor did he tear up the donkey. Verse 29, And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and lay him upon the donkey and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother... And it came to pass after he had buried him that he spoke unto his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher wherein the, old, the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which was cried by the Lord against the altar of Bethel and against all the house of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria, Samaria shall surely come to pass. All right. He comes up upon this body. Donkey standing there. Lion standing there. And he very boldly goes up and picks up the body. You know, um, you know it, doesn't say, it doesn't say that he chased away the lion. He just sees what's going on, recognizes it from God, and decides he's going to take and bury this man. Picks up the body, puts it on the donkey that just happens to still be standing there you know, when it should run away from the, from the lion. And this poor lion gets to, run, gets to slink away without its food that it killed. You know, this is what God can do. He makes things happen against nature, which is why, by definition, they're called miracles. This lion should not, you know, should not have stood there over a body, dead body without eating. It should not have stood beside a donkey without killing the donkey. Because at the very least, the donkey was food for the lion. And this priest comes, this prophet comes along, picks up the body and brings it back to the city. And we see here, he has a moment with God. So he, this takes us back to, was he a, a false pro prophet who was a, a priest of the idols that Jeroboam, and remember, Jeroboam has created idols to uh, golden calf worship. All right? He is... And why did he do that, if you remember? He said, well, I can't have the people go back to Jerusalem to worship God because if they go back into Jerusalem, which is in Judea, they may decide to reunite with Judea and I'll lose my kingdom. And remember, God had promised him if he just honored him, his kingdom would last forever. And the first thing he does is makes golden calf worship, appoints people to be prophets and priests of the golden calf. So we don't know if this prophet is a 
false prophet or is he just a backslidden prophet? Either way, he's coming back to God. Either back to God or to God in the first place. Because he sees a miracle. He recognized and his voice was used to prophesy against, the, against that, pre, uh, that prophet. He did very wrong to tell the guy, well, God told me. So this is what we're saying. He's either a false prophet who didn't, didn't uh, believe in God or he's just a bad prophet, a fallen prophet. I mean, all of us fall. And we don't know which way it was because, but God does use him. After, after this man eats, he's the one that pronounces judgment that you're going to, you're, you, you disobeyed God, you're going to be, you're going to be uh, struck dead. You know, he was used for God. And the strange thing about it is many people, when they backslide, end up talking for God and preaching and, and witnessing and everything else that you could never imagine that you're doing. I remember when I turned away from God for two years, you know, I don't know that I witnessed more, but I sure feel like I did because I was under such conviction that I hadn't opened a Bible. And I'm telling people they need to go to church. They need to know God. And I haven't gone to church you know, for one to two years, and I haven't picked up my Bible for that period of time, and I'm telling them they need Jesus, and they need, they need to get into the Bible, and they need to go to church. Uh, so this could be that man. He's just turned away from God. But now he sees this man, and he mourns for him, because all of a sudden, the wickedness of his sin really strikes him. It's his fault that this prophet is laying in the street dead. Because the man told him, God told me not to go. And he, being the older, wiser man, supposed man of God, said, well, God spoke to me. We need to be careful because it is easy to listen to somebody and say, well, they've walked with God longer. They, they seem to know their Bible better. If God has clearly told you something, obey God. Now, if you're unsure, then yes, take the counsel of somebody who's older wiser especially if you know them and know that they are a godly person he should never have listened to this man he did not know this man god gave him a very clear message and this guy contradicting god's message he would have been no worse off going home you know because if he was wrong he was still obeying to the best of his knowledge all right He was definitely bad. He, there's no way he, I'm saying that what he did was good. But the man knew what he was supposed to do. And this, again, this takes us in a very interesting place. When you listen to a teacher, and that teacher starts teaching bad, bad teachings, don't just believe that person because they've always been good. This is why I say I want Bereans in this church that look at the, look at the scriptures, study the scriptures, and say, is it, does what I say and people who are visiting say match the scriptures? If it doesn't, then we challenge it and say, does that, how, does that, how does that fit? Or how does, what about this scripture? And we, and not necessarily right in the middle, but we come back and we say, this doesn't sound right. It doesn't, doesn't match. Because the Holy Spirit will talk to every one of us. It's an amazing thing that when you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you know whether what's being said is true or false. You may not know why you know it. You just know that it's wrong. And this has happened many times when I've had a pastor or a teacher in the background just kind of not really consciously listening. 
and all of a sudden the hairs on the back of my head start standing up and I'm going, what did that person just say? And I start listening and I'm going, I like this guy. What, what are they teaching this for? And then I have to decide whether I'm going to continue listening to this person or just ignore that particular area. And there was one, one teacher, I loved him most of the time. But every year he spent three months on his hyper-Calvinism and I had to turn him off for about three months because of how far off he got with the other stuff. Uh, but you know, when you're listening to these people, you'll hear, you'll know. And sometimes it's taught just out of ignorance and they didn't realize what they said. Maybe they didn't even say what you thought they meant, you know, or they just misspoke the word. But when the spirit gives you an alarm bells, pay attention, listen. When you're getting counsel from somebody, even if they're older and wiser in most cases, and they start giving you counsel that is unbiblical, the Holy Spirit will give you this little warning sounds that, hey, this isn't right, don't listen. And back off and don't listen. Don't be, don't be disrespectful, don't be you know, combative, but just say, God, help me to know what was wrong with this. And then you might be able to respectfully approach them. In the past, when I've had people that have said something, I've usually gone to them that night or the next day or two and say, I thought I heard you say this. Is, is this what you meant? Number one, because I, I'm not perfect at hearing what I hear either. And so it, I'm coming in with a, a position of humility. I thought I heard you say this. And I've had them say, oh, I, I hope I didn't say that. Or, yeah, that's what I said. And, go, and, then, we, and then we can have a discussion about why they believed it opposed to different other scriptures or when they say oh I, I hope i didn't say that i'm going well i don't know but that's what i thought i heard and be able to deal with it and this is important you know it's important because every speaker can make mistakes every speaker can study and think that they're studying the right things and end up not teaching correctly or teaching exactly what they thought it said but not being correct because they haven't looked at other scriptures and saw how it fits in with the whole place. And this is a place that we can get very tangled up sometimes. We read one scripture and we're determined this is what the whole the scripture means. And then we read three or four places where we go, oh, it can't mean that because it's in contradiction. And we go back and, and understand it the way it's supposed to be understood. And oh, okay, now I understand. It didn't say what I thought it said. And it's very important, and we need people that are willing to come to us and say, I don't think you taught that correctly. You know, I don't, I don't yeah, see donkeys that. Don't eat <laughs> donkeys don't eat people, yes. <laughs> Good thing I caught that before yeah. it went too far. <laughs> and that's, and, but that's exactly how things can be said. Somebody can say something that is totally not even meant to be said and not catch it. And it, it could be serious. In that particular one, the donkey eating the man would not be the would not be the end of the world, you know, on that one. But but you know, they could say something that could have some serious ramifications, and totally be wrong, and have just misspoken it, not even what they meant to say. So give the teacher the benefit of the doubt when you go to them, <laughs> and be respectful, and work with them, and then make sure. And then if it's something really serious, then you have to make a decision. Do I stay listening to that teacher or do I move on? Most of the mistakes are not serious enough that you're going to say, I just got to leave this church because of this decision. All right? There are, there are some times where that happens. 
that that's not, that teacher's been bad usually from the beginning. That, that's not a teacher who's usually doing a good job. Uh, so we look at here, and this prophet brings him back to the city, and it says to mourn and bury him. And he put him in his own grave, and he said, alas, my brother. And this is a cry, alas. You know, he's realizing at this point, I've messed up. So in, when we get to this section, we almost think that he was a, just a bad prophet, that somebody who'd backslidden. Uh, because he seems to make some prophecies at this point. He made a prophecy when, you know, when the man ate. And now he's getting ready to make another prophecy. And so we look at him, and it, it could very well be. And it's, it's why I say I don't know whether he was just a false prophet or a bad prophet. Because we get toward the end here, and it sounds more and more like he was a fallen, backslidden prophet. Conviction. Conviction. And the Holy Spirit, and he could have been a false prophet. They all of a sudden got convicted. I led this man to his death. All right. What happened to Saul of Tarsus? He's marching, walking on. Jesus knocks him off his horse and says, why are you per persecuting me? And all of a sudden, all the guilt of all the people that he is imprisoned and, and sent, to, sent to death starts pouring in on him. Okay, uh, even, though, even though he wasn't one of them at the time, he, he was a follower of God. This false prophet might have been a follower of God, and all of a sudden he's realizing, what did I just do? It's more serious than I thought. And sometimes when people get saved, it's because that's what happened to, happens to them. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just impresses on them, you have hurt a lot of people with what you've done. The people you've gotten into drugs, the people you've slept with, the people you've, you've led astray, you know, into alcohol and drugs and whatever else it might be. And all of a sudden, all of that burden falls upon them beyond their own burden. And they start to come to repentance. So this is what I'm saying. He's either a false prophet that really come under conviction or he was a backslidden one who still come under conviction. The end result is the same. The Holy Spirit worked on him and said, you've just killed a man. You know, not directly, but your bad advice led to his death. You, you are an accomplice to his death. And that hits him. That hits him, especially when he gets there and finds, you know, like I say, here's a miracle. You know, a lion standing and a donkey standing there guarding, over, guarding this carcass, you know, realizing that man's there because he led him astray. And if you're truly a teacher, that hurts to realize that somebody went astray because of something you did or said. You know, it's hard. Now, it's bad enough when you teach right and they don't listen. You know, you still feel, I should have done better, I should have said something different, I should have, I, I, I could have, should have. But when you say something that leads somebody astray, it hits even harder. Because all of a sudden, it's your fault. Your fault they went into this way. And this is where Saul of Tarsus comes into He's truly following God. He truly thinks that he's doing God's will by attacking Christians. And then Jesus comes along and says, you're persecuting me. And he immediately knows that it's not, he hasn't literally just gone against Jesus. It's his body that he's gone against, his people that he's going against. And he's saying, I'm taking this personal. You're attacking me through those, and he repents. All right? He's going to spend three days in blindness. And then he gets resurrected. 
you know, in, in a very spiritual, spiritual sense. All right. Uh, this man is in, just in that same boat. All of a sudden, he says, what have I done? And he gets to see some light. And at that point, whether he truly becomes a, what we would say Christian or not, it sounds like it. He is, what have I done? Alas, my brother. You know, and he realizes it's, it's his fault that this man is dead. You know, now, the, he, this prophet might have fallen somewhere else along the line if he hadn't gone in, but this man knows it's his fault. And you know, this is something that we as parents go through sometimes when we go and we look at our lives of our kids and going, well, my kid's doing such and such, and it's hard not to start looking at your own saying, looking at all the mistakes you made. And for us as parents, I want to say, don't beat yourself up too hard. Hopefully you did the best you could with what you had at the time. And even if you did things mostly right, your kids can still go wrong. Huh? Well, it's sin nature. Okay? Uh, the world likes to blame others. And yes, we may have some input that made them go the wrong way, but they are still responsible for their choices. And we come in and be as godly as we can for them. When we know better, we change the way and we become more godly. And we get to be an example to them and watch, hopefully, that God will redeem them. Because he said, I will restore the years that the canker worm has destroyed. So all those years that we think are destroyed, God says, I'm bigger than they are. I can come in and restore. And then we watch how God gently moves in their life or harshly moves in their life if they're stubborn, stubborn and need, need to be harsh. And there are people that God just has to gently mo touch them on the shoulder and they move. And there's some that he's going to have to break them. And the hardest thing for us as parents is when God has to break our children because we don't want to see them go in pain no matter what they've done to us or or against us or anything. We don't want to see them go into pain. And yet, if they're a stubborn child, God is going to have to break their will, just like he's done for some of us. said, I am going to have to break your will. I'm going to have to run you through the, the thorn bushes and drag you behind me until you listen and obey. And that's what he does, if that's what's needed. And as parents, sometimes we have to say, okay, God, they're yours. God, I really don't want to see them go to jail, get, you know, be in skid row, be a bum, be homeless, whatever it might be. But sometimes that's exactly what has to happen for some, some people, that they have to be gone down. This man, God uses this prophet's death to get hold of the other, other man. Uh, we don't know what happens after this. You know, we don't, this guy doesn't go into history in the Bible. But, you know, I have this feeling that he's made, a, he's made a turn here. He's going to be an actual prophet of God for a while. And he's in the northern kingdom, which isn't a good place to be a prophet. All right, if you're a prophet in the northern kingdom, which has got golden calf worship, Baal worship, pastoral worship, and you speak for God, many of them die. All right. So what happens to this other prophet, we don't know. But he's had a turning point. And this is something that we have to understand, you know, all things work together for good for those that are called of God and uh, love God and are called according to his purpose. What Even that one I just gave you, Romans 8.28. It's one of my favorite verses. 
Uh, it always is. Now for this young prophet, what was the good? Well, he went to heaven. <laughs> uh, his disobedience cut his life short, but he still went to heaven. But what happened by his death? The older prophet comes back and says, oh man, I messed up. I'm going to be, I need, I'm converted. This is something that is so important for us. Every time we go through something hard, it's either for our advantage to learn, to learn t for the future, or it's for somebody looking at us as we go through it, through it uh, confidently and, and well, or it could be that we go to heaven and they still learn by us going to heaven. Fox's Book of Martyrs is filled with testimonies of Christians who died because of their faith. And people looked at them in their day and going, well, what can be good about this? Well, they died martyrs and they're still remembered 2,000 years later because a book wrote their story. And even if it wasn't 2,000 years later, family knew about their story and why they died. And God in Psalms says, precious is the death of his saints in his sight. Why? Because we get to go home. The greatest thing for God is when we die, we get to be with him. You know, so this is a beautiful thing for a Christian to die. Now, it doesn't mean we go out and hurry it with some kind of form of suicide or anything, but just know that when it's time to die for somebody, it's a blessing because they go home. This world is not our home. We need to be looking for a home in eternity. And this is why when we're not fully attached to this world as Christians, it's a good thing. Because my home is heaven. So I hold anything in this world lightly. What can Satan take away from us if our focus is on heaven? There's nothing in this world that he can take away from us that's going to bother us that much. Yes, it might make us inconvenient if he takes away our, our transportation, our cars, our family, you know, our work. He can make life difficult for us. But this is not our home. Our home is eternity. And in that home, hopefully, we put treasures that the rust does not uh, attack, the moths don't eat through, and we have treasures that are eternal because we've served God. And we have put treasures up in heaven. And we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to find the treasures that we have in our, in our new home, and it's going to blow our minds because we're going to get blessed for things that we never even thought of. The time when we were just nice to somebody that didn't deserve it, we gave a drink of water to somebody, a ride to somebody, uh, a meal to somebody, and they didn't deserve it because they were being a terrible person. And God says, yep, there's a reward. The time we just gave a quick witness to somebody, maybe we stumbled all over our words and did a terrible job. And he says, you stepped out and did something. And you know, what we think is a terrible job sometimes is more important than we understand because our bravery to do it might just touch them. And if you think back over the people who shared the gospel with you over the years, you're going to remember those guys that did it poorly and those that did it, did it well. But you're going to remember a lot of the poor guys because you, you laughed at them probably. You made fun of them. But that message stuck deeper in you than the guy who did it, the guy or girl who did it very well because you didn't make fun of them. They, they, were, too, they were too challenging. You remember rejecting them and not, not trying not to listen to them but you know, the good news is when we give God's word out to people, 
He promises that his word does not return void. It doesn't matter how much you stumble and, and trip over your testimony, give it. And note that I've said give your testimony. You know, it's important to know how to present the gospel, but tell people how God changed you. Because you know what? There's nobody can tell you that you didn't get changed. You lived it. You know that you got changed. You know what God has done. And concentrate on what God has done. Don't worry about telling them how bad you were. One of the worst things I hear in testimonies are these people that go on, they give a 15, 20-minute testimony, and 10 to 15 minutes of it is all the bad stuff they did. And then they got saved, and, that, and that's where it stops. I want to know how God changed people's lives, and that's what's important. And you know what? That really is what makes people know that there is a God. Yes, I used to do this, but God came to my life, and this is where I'm at now. This is what's happening now. God has opened up the word of God. He has given me fellowship with other Christians. He has taken away my desire. You know, whatever it is, it's your testimony. Live and express your testimony. And then just tell them that what, how, what that gospel is. You're, we're all sinners. Jesus died for our sins. And he, when we repent and ask him to come and live in us, gives us a new life. He makes us born again. And then he changes us. It's really simple. The gospel message is so simple. You know, people go, well, I don't have time to tell the gospel message. It only takes about a minute and a half. You know, and one of the challenges people are getting is take your testimony and put it together in a minute, minute to two-minute presentation. This is what I was. This is what Jesus did to me. And this is who I am now. 30 seconds in each area. And you're told your whole testimony. It's not hard. Work on it. Know, know what you're going to tell people. Because the more you know what you're going to tell people, the easier it is to tell them. You know, I hate talking to people or used to hate talking to people. And so what did I have for a job is I worked in the restaurant management business. And I had to serve tables. The only thing that made me able to serve tables is they gave me a script to follow. Huh? Oh, yeah, I used to wait tables a lot. I had lots of fun waiting tables. I was a cook before that. And then they made me wait tables so I could get into management. But the script told me what to say. And for a, about a month, I followed the script to the letter. Every single table. <laughs> I was a robot. After a while, I started feeling comfortable with it. And I could ad lib and still hit the, hit the points and everything. If when you're doing your, your testimony and you've memorized it, and, it, and you're saying the same thing to everybody for a while, that's good. At least you're sharing it. Then you get a little more comfortable and you go, I can ad-lib this a little bit. I can, I can add features. I can add, you know, tell more or less depending on what group I'm in. But you have your starting place where you say, this is my testimony. This is what God has done for me. This is who he's made me to be. And know your testimony. Be ready to share it. Because nobody can, I, they can argue all day about facts. They can argue all day about the verses. But they can't argue about a changed life. Especially when it's your changed life. They may not want to believe you. But they can't tell you it didn't happen. You lived it. So work on your testimony. Know what it is that you're going to say. This prophet's going to have a testimony. Now, maybe he had one before this. But now he definitely has one. I, I led this poor guy astray, and he died, and now I'm, now I'm following God. And so we want to have that as we go in. 
And then verse 3, when it came to pass after he had buried him that he spoke to his son saying, when I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside him. For the saying which he cried against the, by the word of the Lord against the altar of Bethel and against all the house of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. This is how we know he has a, he has a changed attitude toward God. All right? He says that message is going to happen. It's going to happen. The sepulcher is going to have bones burnt upon it. And we told you, you know, last week that where it was fulfilled in the scripture where many, many centuries later, the, the king, Josiah, comes and, and repairs the altar and burns bones on it to, to uh, totally finish the, the desecration of the altar. So he all of a sudden realizes it's going to happen. Bury me. When I die put me in with the man of God. Now, is he looking for some kind of form of redemption in there by being born, you know, buried with the man of God? I don't know. We're, we're going to skip that. You know, because how many times do we, as Christians, think if, if I do enough good works for God, he's going to like me a little better. I've repented. I've, I've come to him. I've got to do good things. We have to understand that everything about our salvation is grace. Everything. When God saved me, he knew all the sins that I had done, was doing, and ever will do. And he forgave them all and clothed me with the righteousness of Christ. And he's not going out and saying, now that I've given you salvation, you've got to earn it or you've got to keep it. You know, and this is something that is very important for us to understand. Many churches have problems with this and Christians have problems with this. They get saved and all of a sudden they're trying to to earn God's respect. Now, does that mean we won't do service for God and we won't do good things after we're saved? Absolutely not, because the Holy Spirit is in us, crucifying our flesh, and he's going to lead us into doing right things. The question is, what is our motive for doing it? Is my motive because I just love God and I want to serve him, or is my motive because, God, I want to show you you know, that I was, worth, I was worth saving, so, God, I'm going to do these things for you? And this is a very interesting, and it's hard. It's a hard place because we all go through it at certain places in our life. God, how can I show you how much I love you? I'm already thinking wrong. When it is spontaneous and it just happens, that is when it is a godly work. And that doesn't mean it's wrong to seek anything. I mean, if you're called to be a teacher, by all means, go out and, and, and seek being a teacher. If you're called to be a servant in the church, by all means, go out and seek being a servant. Most of the churches I've gone to long before I became a pastor, I would go to them after I'd been there for a little while and made sure it's the right church that I'm going. God would say, now it's time to go ask him if he can be a teacher. At some point, I'd always go in and ask, you know, to teach Sunday school or whatever it might be. Why? Because sometimes they needed help. In a good church, they ask you to be a teacher ahead of time, but, you know, I also tend to want to have people want it rather than feel like they're being pressured into it. Because there's, it's two schools of thought, and I tend to fit on that. I want to hear people say, I'd like to help. And sometimes I'll look at somebody and I'll go, I just know they're supposed to do something, and I'll approach them. All right? You know, especially if they're just sitting around and they've been very faithful. And it's like, okay, you're, you're a teacher. You're, you're, you're a servant. Why don't you do these things? And I've done it both ways in this church. 
Some people I have asked to do things. Some people, and usually they've shown signs that they wanted to do it anyway. So it happened with Betsy. She got stuck with doing the end of the month dinners because she was helping out so much and I just asked her to take it over. And then she's volunteered to do other things. <laughs> you know, Sarah volunteered to work with the children. You know, these are important. Sometimes we look at somebody and say, I think you really should be doing this. Other times it's we just wait and see if they're going to admit that they're called to do it. And that first time is always the hard one. When you first step out, and the first time I had to teach kids, it was, I did it for kind of a strange reason because I was in a group and they, I had to earn, earn credits towards serving in the church and all the, all the other guys were doing ushers and I didn't want to be an usher so I, so I ended up teaching in the Sunday school and I've never stopped. You know, uh, started maybe for the wrong reasons but it had its good, good result. You know, so we look at this. This man says, bury me with this prophet because what he said is going to come true. Somehow he wanted to be part of that prophecy that he had almost subverted and says, put me with him. Put me with him in that tomb. Verse 3. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again the lowest of the people, priest in the high places, Whoever he would, he consecrated, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became a sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. All of this happened. Jeroboam's arm was withered. He saw the power of this man of God, should have repented, and he didn't. His heart was cold toward God. And, you know, you look at this and going, sometimes you look at it and say, how can all these things happen to a person and still have them reject God? Jeroboam is one of those characters. His arm was, was struck, withered away, just a stump, as he points it out. He can't, he dried up so fast he couldn't pull it back, begs for forgiveness and, and the, the asking God of heaven to heal him, gets healed and still does not turn to God. The sad thing is, I wish I could say that Jeroboam was an unusual case. He's not. How many people, and you might be in this group, have you, have you heard of, that make a promise to God, God, if you just get me out of this problem, if you just get me out of this situation, I will serve you. And you either immediately forget your promise, or you keep it for a couple of weeks or months or you know, maybe a year or two. Maybe you're really good. You keep it for a year or two and turn from God. Jeroboam's not unusual. He had a promise from God. If you just obey me, you will have a dynasty. You will always have your ten tribes. And now God gets a hold of him one more time and says, I've destroyed your arm. Now i fixed your arm. Are you going to follow me? And it says, he did not turn from his wicked ways. This is one of the worst statements that we can hear. Did not turn. We look at Jonah. Jonah is one of the most interesting stories of a prophet of God. He's called the prophet of God. He is God's prophet. God says, go to Nineveh. He goes, no, thank you, God. I'm going the other way. Runs away from God. 
well, runs away from his ministry anyway. I don't, I don't know that he was trying to run away from God. He was running away from what God told him to do. Gets swallowed by a fish, gets brought back, decides to witness to, Jer- uh, to Nineveh. His message is, repent for in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. And I don't believe there was any love in that message. Okay? I believe it was more, repent because you guys are going to die in 40 days. You know, he was happy. This was, God's, this was the enemy of Israel. You know, it was no love in that message. Then he goes up on the hillside above Nineveh and waits for God to destroy it after they've repented. And then argues with God. And God says, Are, is it a good thing that you're so... Oh, yes, it's an awfully good thing, God. You, I, I knew that you were going to be merciful to them. That is why I didn't want to go to him in the first place, because I knew you'd show mercy. You know, and at the end of the story, even though he had had the lesson, there's still no indication that he learned his lesson. It is interesting that God uses people and things against their will often. Balaam gets talked to by a donkey. Elijah gets talked to by God out of the still small voice after all the craziness that he expected to hear God. Moses gets to hear God talking out of a bush. Huh? A burning bush, yes. But still a bush. (laughs) uh, Peter really gets converted when God fills his boat with fish. You know, miraculously fills his boat with fish. You know, fishing all, all night and then God tells him to, you know, Jesus tells him to put, a, put the net down during the day and the fishermen all know that if you put the net down during the day, the fish see the net. You don't fish it during the day by net. And God says, put it down. And if you read that story, it's quite interesting because Jesus tells him, put your nets in. And it says that he put his net in. One. He, he was reluctantly being obedient to God and almost broke the net because the catch was so large. All right? God still honored his disobedience. Because Jesus could have said, well, I told you to put nets down. You only put a net down. You don't get anything now. But he still honored him in his disobedience. There are so many times in my lifetime and probably your lifetime where God has given you honor even when you're disobeying and not being fully obedient. Abraham was told to leave the Ur of Chaldees with just his wife and leave his family behind. He leaves the Ur of Chaldees with his father and his nephew and then stops before he obeys God and stops for a decade or two before he finally gets obedient to God. And even then... He brings his nephew with him, which causes problems later on. And then his nephew breaks off and ends up creating two nations that are going to be a problem for Abraham's prodigy for the rest of his days. All because of his disobedience. He has a disobedience when he gets married to to Hagar and gives birth to Ishmael, who is the father of most of the Arab, Arab nations. You know, and another group of people that are going to be a problem for Abraham's descendants. All because of disobedience. And our disobedience, even though God may bless it in the moment, can have long-term consequences. 
And we need to be very careful about our actions. And, and even when, because God makes everything work together for good, doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences for our actions. You know, we go out and we get drunk and we drive and God's going to turn it to good somehow if we're his, his child, even though there could be really bad ramifications. We might be in prison for manslaughter. We might wrap our car around a tree and end up with a broken back or broken legs that are going to suffer for the rest of our life. All kinds of things are going to happen that are consequences, even though God can use that to bring me back to him and make me come to him in a stronger way, I still suffer consequences. And this is important for us to understand. Just because God works it for good does not mean I go out and do all the bad that I can possibly do because God's going to make it work together for good. Because I could have a lot of pain and suffering and cause a lot of pain and suffering to my family and friends because of my, those actions. Now, it'll be good for them too because God will turn to good. But we don't want to do it. It's much better to be obedient to God and watch the way he makes things happen than to be disobedient. Jeroboam is so disobedient, and it says he went out, and he went out to the lowest of people to make them priests. In other words, not sons of Aaron. Aaron's sons were the only ones that were supposed to be priests, and the Levites were the ministers in, the, in here. And the lowest of people really is an interesting word because he's going out and he's getting the bad guys. The guys that are willing to, to not serve God in the first place. And making them priests. And priests are always honored. And it doesn't matter what religion you're in, the priests are honored within that religion and usually within that community because they're supposed to be men of God. And he's raising up the lowest of people, making them priests, making them in places. And this, it said, became a sin unto the house of Jeroboam for, um, from off the face of the earth. Jeroboam is known for leading Israel astray. And when we get to the last king, we'll hear the story in Israel that Israel, that he had golden calf worship that was established in the days of Jeroboam. All the other false religions go up and down, back and forth, but golden calf worship is going to last forever in Israel. And remember, he built two main temples to, to the golden calf. One in Dan, which is, was as far north as his kingdom went. And one right on the border, on the road to Jerusalem. So that as they were headed into Jerusalem, he'd have one last shot to try to convince them, hey, just give your offering here. You don't, you don't have to go the, the next uh, day's journey to get into Jerusalem. You can, offer, you can offer to our God here. That was their problem that they had. The entire nation rebels. In the ten tribes of Israel, they never had a good king in all of this almost millennia that they existed. They never had a good, righteous king. Israel's going to have king, good kings off and on. Judah's going to have good kings off and on. But Israel never has a righteous, godly king. And the people suffer because of it. And, you know, this is something for us to understand. God says, blessed are the people whose leaders are trust in him. When the righteous rule, the nation rejoices. And we see this all around the world and even in, starting in America. 
unrighteous people are ruling and people suffer. And this is going to be the case. Unless there is a revival in our country, we've got a problem ahead of us. Because God must bring judgment upon the world. And we're being led astray. Tells us we're in the end days because God said that people will say that good is bad and bad is good. And that's exactly what's happening. Now, if you're married, you're laughed at and made fun of because that's so strange. But if you're living together, they think it's good. You know, if you're, and if you're living together in a homosexual relations, that's even better as far as the world's concerned. You know, we've got to be careful and look and say, God, we're praying for repentance. We want to see this country repent and come back to you. Because otherwise, judgment is going to fall on this country. And hard times are going to fall on Christians. And we're already seeing the beginnings of it. Pray for revival. Witness to people. Use your vote. You know, we in America have a good advantage. We can vote. The shame is that most of the guys tell us one thing and do another. And usually what they don't, what they tell us all we want to hear that's good, and then they don't stand for God after that. And that's a problem, and we can't handle, we can't help that. Do the best we can, pray for revival, and seek after God. And God might just spare this world for a little while. If not, praise God, we're headed to, to the rapture. Bad times will happen before the rapture, and we're going to have a hard time, but the rapture's coming. And maybe we'll have to give our life for, for our king or our freedom for our king. You know, many Christians end up in, in prisons before they die around the world. And that's headed our way here in America. Be ready. Prepare your hearts to follow God no matter where it heads. Be ready for whatever may happen. And I'm hearing this more and more from pastors and it's more and more on my heart that we need to prepare the church for the tribulation that's coming. Without revival, tribulation's coming. Martyrdom's coming. Prison is coming. And we need to prepare our hearts for what's coming. Because if we're not prepared, when it comes, we're going to fail. In the first century church, we always think that they did such a wonderful job, but there were thousands of people that would go up to the altar and give the little grain offering and say, Caesar is Lord instead of Jesus is Lord because they were trying to save their life. Then they'd go back and repent and really feel bad about what they had done. But many of them did make it look like they were not believers. Now many, many obeyed God and were, were, were killed. There will be people in America that are, that are Christians that are gonna deny him for self-preservation. We need to have it in our heart that God, I am yours no matter what no matter what comes i am yours i am ready to face whatever when i was a teenager i was absolutely sure that i would be in prison for being a christian and when i was a teenager it made no sense to think that way now that i'm almost 60 i'm looking around and say god i could be in prison because i'm not going to deny you i'm not going to say the things that the pc world wants me to say i could end up in prison when God shared it with me, I'm going, God, this is silly. You know, I live in a free country and nobody, nobody's bothering us Christians. And now we're seeing that we're not far away from being in a place where we could be imprisoned or worse. 
Prepare your hearts to serve God no matter what. And take it, because if we can't, you know, and this is very important, if we can't take a little ribbing now for being a Christian, we can't open our mouth because we're afraid somebody's going to make fun of us, you're not going to follow God when your life is on the line. If you can't take it when your own, just because they'll make fun of you, you're not going to stand up for God when it's prison or, or death. Make your decision that, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what. And, and start looking for God to give you the strength to do it. And start practicing. Practice. Get out there and share God. Be teased. Be made fun of. Be rejected. It's going to be it's a good training ground for what is around the corner. Every prophet was, was given a hard time. John the Baptist died. Isaiah was sawn, sawn in two. Jeremiah was thrown into the dungeon every time he turned around. Uh, you know, many of these guys died for preaching the gospel. Are we ready to? All of the disciples except John died the martyr's death. And John, just because Jesus said he was going to live, lived. And it wasn't out of lack of trying. They boiled him in oil. They tried to poison him. They put him on Patmos, the, in, the criminally insane asylum. So one of those insane people would kill him. And he never died. God just did not let him die. And he died of old age. What does God have in store for us? We don't know. We need to be ready to stand up for him and say, God, what you have in store for me, I'm ready. If it's prison, when we stand up for him in prison and we preach the gospel message in prison. If it's a martyr's death, we stand up and say, God, I want you to give me the strength to be a Stephen and forgive them as I'm being killed. You know, Stephen spoke the same words Jesus did. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he looked into heaven and said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And I don't think he felt another stone after that because his eyes were on Jesus. Are we ready? Are we ready to face what's coming? We don't know until we get there because that's when God will give us the grace to go through it, but we need to steal ourselves for the fact that bad times are coming. Even in America, bad times are coming. And if you don't believe it, just start reading. Read, you know, read the comment sections of any, any religious picture. You know, uh, and see how people attack, virulently attack any Christian view in the comment section. This world is getting bad. It's getting dark. Our country is getting bad. It's getting dark. We're fortunate. We live out in the middle of nowhere. It will be one of the last places to get hit. But you know what? It will hit here eventually. In Russia, it hit all the small villages. In, in China, it hit all the small villages. The, the negative impact will come everywhere. It may get here late, and we'll hear about all kinds of problems in the bigger cities first, but it eventually will get to us. We need to be ready. And start praying for God to give you the strength. God, give me the strength to be strong for you when the time comes. And be ready in the small times when it's time to be strong. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Lord, help us to learn to be obedient to you no matter what. Help us to follow you in all that we do and choose to be strong and help to follow you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. 
God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.